Welcome to the Ideas That Change the World podcast with Rabbi Manus Friedman, where we make sure your life will be changed for the better, one idea at a time. Rabbi Friedman is the number one voice of clarity on moral and social issues. So what are we waiting for? Let's go change the world. A number of universities around the country have conducted some very strenuous, serious, thorough tests. For a long time. And the results of those tests are finally in. The results show that men and women can't get along. (laughs) What about women and women? (laughs) They won't even test that. Men and women don't get along. There's nothing wrong with that. Men are from Mars, women are from Venus, why should they get along? It's different planets, different mentality, different personality, different. So I never understood when a young couple would come and say, we're working on our relationship. Can you help us? I say, you're working on the relationship. What does that mean in simple English? In simple English it means you don't really like each other. So what, why are you working on it? Not only are they working on it, they're going for therapy. Did you ever hear of two guys who don't get along, so they're going for therapy? <laughs> you don't get along, you don't get along. What's wrong with that? Find somebody else. The really scary thing is when you see a man and a woman who do get along, something's not right. They need therapy. (laughs) So that's why God invented marriage. Marriage is like a miracle. A man becomes a husband, and a woman becomes a wife. So it's true, a man without a woman is a healthier man. A woman without a man is a healthier woman. But a husband without a wife is not a better husband. (laughs) Not a husband at all. So man and woman are better off without each other, but husband and wife are inseparable by definition. One of the sad things that's going on in our society is that people get married, but they don't want to become husbands. They don't want to become wives. So they get married and they remain a man and a woman trying to get along. It doesn't work because men and women don't get along. Why don't we want to become husbands or wives? Because there's no glamour. There's no glamour in being a wife. There's no glamour in being a husband. Like when a group of married women, housewives, want to go out together for an evening, what do they call it? A girl's night out. Not a wives' night out. A wives' night out? That's no fun. (laughs) Wives are generally desperate. You want to have fun, you can't be a wife. You can't even be a woman. You have to go back to being a girl. That was the last time you had some fun. There's no glamour in being a wife. All the nasty jokes about wives. And there's no glamour in being a husband. Husbands are the biggest losers, the biggest wimps, the biggest schlamazzle. Like in all the commercials, the husband wakes his wife because he has post-nasal drip. (laughs) And he doesn't know how to get up and get the NyQuil. She has to get up and get it for him. After that, you want to be a husband? 
<laughs> now it's Alexa. Later that commercial. Guy wakes up in the middle of the night, Alexa, get me my medicine. So, we've got a problem. A woman, a wife, drags her husband off to therapy, to a counselor, because she's very upset. Every time they go out, he's flirting with the women. It happens. The therapist or the counselor says, you're making a big deal out of nothing. This doesn't mean that he's thinking of divorcing you, that he doesn't love you, that he's cheating on you. It's nothing. It's, it's men have a, a need to show off. It's a man thing. So you don't have to worry about it. It's, it's harmless. She goes home feeling a little foolish. But then she realizes that was not a good answer. In fact, that exactly is her problem. It's a man thing. It's not a husband thing. Husbands don't need to make a good impression on other women. So her complaint is, my husband is acting like a man who is not married. And that's disturbing. And she's right. So the first thing we have to get clear in our heads is that marriage means a transformation. It's not a man meets a woman, they like each other, they can live together for a while without a marriage, or they can get a, a piece of paper that says they're married. That's not a marriage. Marriage means you want to become a different creature. You want to become something other than what you are when you're single. And what exactly is that? The only place you're going to get any healthy, correct, true instruction, information on this topic is from the Torah. There's no place else. Anytime you find some real wisdom, it's what the Torah says, even if they don't quote it from the Torah. So what does the Torah tell us? Fascinating, strange thing. In the beginning of creation, God created the first human being. The first human being. A perfect creation. And this first original human being was male and female. And you know the rest of the story. God separated the male from the female, turned them into two people, and then told them to get married. The wording is, therefore, Alcain, therefore, a man should leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife and become one. So what is the purpose of marriage? To become one. Why is that so important and necessary? Because it's our original nature. You see, many people are under the impression that when God separated the man from the woman, that was an improvement. Hey, no, now it's normal. To be male and female, that's not normal. So the operation was an improvement, the separation. But the opposite is the truth. When God created the first human being, he created it perfect male and female. All separation is unholy. Unnatural. In holiness, there's oneness, not separation. Hashem Echad. So the separation was a step down. Just like the soul leaves heaven and comes down to the body, 
It's a step down. A necessary step. But it's not a step up. It's a step down. The same is true with the separation. That's the meaning of the instruction. Therefore, because I separated you, therefore you should get married? That doesn't make sense. Therefore, when you get married, you can become one because that's your original nature. Your truer nature. In a sense, it is easier to be one with each other than to be separate. Because unnatural is harder than natural. So picture this physical example. You have two drops of water on the table, right next to each other. Now, it is the nature of water to flow. Why are there two drops? Why is it not flowing? Why does each drop keep its shape and is therefore separate from the other drop? Why is that? Because of a surface tension. Something, the air, pressure, is keeping them apart. What does it take to bring them back together as one drop? Hardly any effort. You breathe on it. You shake the table. You touch. Break the tension and they will naturally flow into each other. The same is true with husband and wife. Husband and wife naturally merge and become one unless there's something coming between them. The only way that they stay separate is if there's some kind of a tension that is preventing them from following their natural flow and merge with each other. And that's why in principle, the minute you're married, when you walk out from under the chuppah, you have become one. What did you do to become one? You don't have to do anything. It's a process of elimination. If you stop doing the things that separate you, you will instantly, naturally be one. Because that's how we were created. So what is the attraction of a man to a woman and a woman to a man? What do we need each other for if we're better off without each other? We are better off without each other if we maintain our surface tension. If he remains a man and she remains a woman, they have nothing to gain from each other. Marriage means break the tension. Remove all separation and let yourself become one. And that can happen only with a man and a woman because it was male and female that got separated. So the purpose of marriage, the attraction of man to woman is not sexual and it's not practical for tax purposes. It's not so that the children will have a healthy place to grow up. All those things are, are real, but that's not the purpose. The purpose of marriage is go back to your truest nature, and that is to be whole by becoming one. That really is the definition of intimacy. Intimacy means the ability that two people have to lose the tension and become one. One with each other. Why does it seem so difficult? Because there are so many things that can come between you. Even in the best marriage. <clears throat> I wrote a book in uh, 1990 it's called, Doesn't Anyone Blush Anymore? It did pretty well. The title was really effective and successful. 
But it was not the title that I chose. The publisher gets to decide on the title. The title I wanted was, and this is again a book on relationships, the title I wanted was, Shut Up, I Love You. <laughs> because so many problems in a marriage comes from the husband, for example, saying, what is wrong with you? I really, really love you. But you have to have an opinion also. You have to have a personality. If you would just shut up and let me love you, we would both be so happy. But you have a personality. You have an opinion. You ruin everything. <clears throat> when these things come between us, it prevents intimacy from happening. And here's the sad thing about today's generation. Married couples who are happy. It's a good marriage. Ask anybody. Happily married couple. Models for the community. And yet when you talk to them separately, they will admit that when they're alone in a quiet moment, they feel alone in the world. That's not supposed to happen when you're married. That feeling that I am alone in the world is, is poison. It's devastating. Because we're not designed to be alone. We are designed to be one. So when there's problems in a marriage and people are fighting and they don't agree, all right, human beings. But when it's happening, even in a good marriage, what does that show? So if you go for therapy or if you go for counseling or you read all the books and the magazines on the subject, they tell you how to communicate more effectively. Thank you very much. We communicate very well. We communicate our anger, our hatred, our frustrations, and we do it so well. devastatingly well. We don't need more communication. We don't need skills. We don't need tools. We need to know what being together means. We need to get to the real core. The inner understanding of what it is we're trying to accomplish. So the Mishnah says, Talmudic wisdom the Mishnah says, a love that is dependent on something, if the thing goes away, the, the, the relationship will go away. But a love that is not dependent on anything will last forever. Sound good? Yeah, it sounds so good that you don't need sages to tell you this. <laughs> what does it say? If I love you for your money and then you lose the money, guess what's going to happen? You have to be a sage for this? For this, we need, for this we need a Mishnah? If I love you for your money and you don't have money, I don't think I'm going to love you anymore. That's not even correct. Because <laughs> I never loved you. I don't love you for the money. I just love the money, and you come with it. So when you lose your money, and you're still in my house, I don't understand what you're doing there. You don't belong here. In other words, it's not, that I it's not only that I loved your money and not you. I married the money. I'm not married to you. So the first time when I came to Minnesota straight out of yeshiva and this man said to me I'm getting divorced I don't need this <laughs> so like a typical yeshiva bacher, I said well wait a minute if you don't need this why are you divorcing her <laughs> if you don't need this get rid of this why are you divorcing your wife 
But of course, when he said this, he meant his wife. She was never a her, she was a this. And he doesn't need this. So he's going to trade her in for some of that. And if that doesn't work, then he'll try some of those. But he's never married to a person. So listen to it. A man says, in marriage counseling, a man says, I love everything about my wife. Which was a little puzzling because the wife was desperate for a divorce. I said, wait a minute. Something isn't adding up here. You love everything about your wife and your wife wants a divorce? What's going on? So I said to him, do you love her? He says, I love everything about her. I said, do you love her? He says, what about her? I said, no, not about her. Do you love her? He says, I, I don't know what you're talking about. If your husband said to you, I love everything about you, what are you hearing? So if a husband would say, or a wife would say, I love everything about my husband. I like his money. I like his looks. I like his intelligence. I like his sense of humor. I like his family. That means you're married to those things. That's called, that's called polygamy. <laughs> you have five wives and she is not one of them. So if you love everything about your husband, you're missing him. Do you love him? And most people will say what this man said. What about him? Nothing about him, just him. I don't even know what that means. What is him when you take away all the things? That is sad. That's why they feel alone, even in a good marriage, where they love everything about each other. But they never connected to each other. Here's the real mystery in the, in the Mishnah. A love that is dependent on something could also mean a love that is the thing. So you ready for this shock? <coughs> the thing that is destroying most marriages in the United States of America is love. If I say I'm marrying you for your money, everybody would say, come on. That's not a marriage. But if I say I am marrying you for love, everybody says, wow, that's beautiful. Why is it any better? If I marry you for your money and you lose your money, I'm not married to you. If I marry you for love and you don't love me, I'm not married to you. I'm married to the love. Why is that not an ulterior motive? I don't really want you. I just want the love from you. So two things will happen. If you don't love me, I don't need you. And if you do love me and I've had enough of that love, I don't need you anymore. So what should a wife do? Love her husband or not? <laughs> Either way, he might leave. Good, I married you for love. I got the love. I'm, I'm satisfied. Time to move on to something else. Now I'll go marry somebody for hate. <laughs> love can get boring, you know. People get married for love. It is not a healthy relationship. Which means, if a man and a woman love each other, fine. Why are you getting married? Where does this notion come from? 
If I love you and you love me, then we should get married. Why? Why is marriage the conclusion of love? It doesn't make sense. The way it's supposed to be is, I want to get married. I believe in marriage. And I'm looking for somebody who also believes in marriage. And then if we can get along, then we can make a marriage together. But because I love you, I'm going to get married? That doesn't make any sense. Every girl, when she's nine years old, wants to be married, wants to be a mommy. She doesn't want to marry a boy. Boys are horrible. <laughs> so marriage comes before the potential partner. So when you're dating, the first question you ask each other is not, how do you like me now? <laughs> not how do you like me? What do you think of marriage? You have to love marriage for its own sake. Otherwise, don't do it. Why would you do something you don't believe in or you don't love or you don't like? So the question of how you feel about each other is second, not first. First, how do you feel about marriage? Now, what exactly is the intimacy of the marriage. This is a serious question for religious people and even for non-religious people because there's something that doesn't compute in the brain. If you're a religious boy in yeshiva, a religious girl in yeshiva, you are told that thinking about sex is a sin. Dating, partying, touching each other, the greatest sin in the world. Premarital sex is horrible, it's animalistic, you're like a dog, you're like a... And then you turn 19 and they say, no, so when are you going to get married? And so, whoa, 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 that's disgusting. <laughs> so most people get married with the impression that it is a horrible, disgusting thing that you're allowed to do if you're married. This is not good. Marriage is license to be an animal? Yeah, yeah, but just, but just with your wife. But that's the one person you shouldn't be an animal with. And the same problem exists in the secular world. Why in the secular world is physical intimacy called making love. Sounds nice? It's horrible. Because it shows what you really think of the act. Why are you calling it making love? Call it what it is. No, no. Hey, I'm not an animal, okay? So without the love, it's just animal behavior. If it's out of love, oh, then, yeah, then it's beautiful. Which means you should do ugly, disgusting things only with someone you love. This makes sense to you? No, do it with your enemy. So you see how confused we are? A boy wants to date a girl. He, he follows her. He runs after her. He seduces her. And they, and they have sex. And then they get into a fight. What does he call her? You slut. Whoa, I thought you were making love. Yeah, that's when I like you. <laughs> if I don't like you anymore, what you just did, you're a slut. So you see how this can't work. The correct answer is this. What is animalistic will always be animalistic. It doesn't get kosher because a rabbi made a bracha over it. What happens in marriage is a completely different thing. Sex needs to be 
prettied up a little bit because it's animalistic. Intimacy doesn't need any improvement. You don't have to call it making love. You're being married. You're with each other. It doesn't need embellishment because it just so happens that the intimacy between a husband and wife, the physical intimacy, is the holiest thing that human beings can do that is not a mitzvah. Usually when we think of something holy, what's holy? You want to do something holy? Put on tefillin. Why? Oh, tefillin are holy. You want to do something holy? Light a Shabbos candle, a Yom Tov candle. It's a holy thing to do. But when it's not a mitzvah, is there anything a human being can do that is holy? There's one. Intimacy with your spouse. Even when it's not the mikvah night and it's not the, ma- the wedding night, it's not a mitzvah. It is just plain holiness. The holiest that human beings can get. But that's only if you're looking for the intimacy, not trying to get something from each other. Because as soon as you introduce something, you have ruined it. So the secret of a holy bedroom, if you ask your grandmother, what, what happens in the bedroom? Because you can't ask your parents, they'll never tell you. So you ask your grandmother. And your grandmother says, nothing. You say, Grandma, come on, tell me. I'm 36, it's time I know already. What goes on in the bedroom? And your grandmother says, nothing. You say, fine, you don't want to tell me? She did tell you. And it's the correct answer. What is magical about a bedroom is that it is a no-thing zone. No thing happens in a bedroom. People are not things. And a bedroom is a place for him and her. He's not a thing. She's not a thing. So no thing in the living room, there are things. There should be things. There better be some things. Otherwise, how do you know it's a living room? <laughs> so in a living room, you have books. You have, you have a radio. You have a television. You have a computer. You have a desk. You have things. That's what it's for. In a kitchen, you better have some things. It's a kitchen. It's about <laughs> things. Bedroom means... Just him and her. No things. So practically speaking, a television in the bedroom is poison. A radio, uh, any anything other than each other does not belong in the bedroom. A desk with a computer to do a little last minute work, it ruins the bedroom. A bedroom is a no-thing zone. The Gemara tells a story that there was a woman who had magnificent children. Not Kimchis, whose whose children were all uh, Kohanim. Another woman, her children were just magnificent. So the rabbis came to find out what her secret is. How do you make such perfect children? And she told the rabbis that she is never intimate with her husband before one o'clock in the morning. And they said, what? That's your secret? She said, until one o'clock in the morning in her, in her village, there's activity. Somebody's coming home late, the door opens, the door closes, a horse walks by, a cart. After one o'clock, there is no activity outside the house. So there's never a distraction of a sound 
while you're being intimate. And if there is no distraction from the outside and they do not allow anything to come between them, on the inside, the children benefit greatly. Because from a total intimacy, the child gets the, the most advances, ad, advantages and blessings. So what can come between a husband and wife that can ruin the intimacy? A sound from the outside. Certainly a television playing in the room. So here's the real Jewish concept, marriage and intimacy. Tevye, remember? The Jewish sage, Tevye? Tevye says to Golda, do you love me? Golda says, First she says, according to one version, first she says, do I what? He says, do you love me? It's a good question, no? And she sings a song. <laughs> For 25 years, I've washed your clothes, I've made your meals, I've... How is that an answer to her question? And then she ends by saying, if that's not love, what is? He says, do you love me? And he is being childish, immature. Golda is mature. So she says to him, what are you asking? Do I love you? You mean, am I giving you my love? For 25 years, I have given myself to you. I am yours. Does that include my love? <laughs> if, if, if you have me, of course you have my love. But why are you focusing only on the love? What are you, a teenager? So what is more powerful than love? What's a more powerful word than love? Mine. Be mine. You're my wife. You're my husband. I am yours. That is a much more powerful word than I love you. Because you can love me today and not tomorrow. The word love has lost all meaning anyway. Every child says, I love my mommy and Mickey Mouse. <laughs> and sushi. <laughs> and not necessarily in that order. So how do you convince the average American kid that his brother is more important than his dog. Every kid thinks his dog is more important. Why? I love my dog. I don't love my brother. So what makes somebody important in your life? Your love. That is so nasty. You're important if I love you. If I, if I don't love you, you're nothing. That is nasty. When somebody is important, you should love them. And if you don't love them, they're still important. So I bought my sister a little souvenir. I found this in a shop. It's a little pillow that's embroidered. And it says, I'm smiling because you're my sister. Isn't that nice? But on the back it said, <laughs> and I'm laughing because there's nothing you can do about it. 
In other words, if you don't love me, too bad. I'm still your brother. We have the same kind of a relationship with God. We can truly say, I am smiling because you're my God. And I'm laughing because there's nothing you can do about it. We are your chosen people. Farfalon. Nothing you can do about it. So, might as well love us. So love is not what makes things important. Love is the feeling you should have for those things that are important. So you can't really love chocolate. You can enjoy chocolate. You can't love it because it's not important. And no amount of love is going to make it important. So what is the more powerful word? What is Golda saying? Golda is saying, love is a flimsy thing. You can love Mickey Mouse. What we have is a marriage. I am yours for 25 years. You have me. That is, that's, that's the real thing. Our grandparents, thank God, had intimate relationships. Some people say, eh, they weren't so happy with each other. Exactly. <laughs> they weren't so happy with each other. They didn't love everything about each other. They just wanted to have each other. We've flipped it. We don't want to have anybody. But there are a lot of things I love about you. <clears throat> the word mine, it is much more meaningful. So what happens in a bedroom? In the rest of your life, there are things that separate you. You have different opinions about how to run the business, how to decorate the house, how to raise the children, which shul to go to, whether you should go to shul. <laughs> we have all sorts of differences that come between us. At the very least, in the bedroom, there should be no things. At least for a few moments, husband and wife should be able to absolutely dissolve into each other like the two drops when you break the surface tension. If you bring something into the bedroom, it becomes abusive. You're using me to get something, even if it's love. To use a person for any reason is abusive. You don't use people. So here's the perfect marriage. If you love somebody very much and you're spending time with that person, it is really a pleasure. But when you come home to the person that you are one with. Have you ever had a moment when it felt so perfect, it was so right, that if time stopped and it remained like this forever, you would be happy? Ever had that feeling? Mothers have that feeling when they look at their baby, when the baby is sleeping. <laughs> and you can't imagine what could be better. What could possibly be better? That kind of moment. When you come home, the feeling that the home should create the feeling that one spouse creates for the other is like this. I am now in the place I ought to be 
There's no place else. This is it. I am now doing what I ought to be doing. There is nothing else I should be doing. And I am with the person that I belong with. There's no one else that I should be with. And then it becomes a little more personal. I am now in a place where I don't want to be anywhere else. There's no place else I'd rather be. And I am doing something and there's nothing else I would rather do. And this is the person that belongs in my life and there's no one else I would rather be with. If you have those three feelings, then don't tell me that you don't know what heaven feels like. Because that is heaven. That's what a marriage should be. Not, oh, I'm so, I love you so much, I, okay, that's now. What's going to be tomorrow? So you don't have that absolute feeling. It's a great feeling. It's not the same as, I am where I belong, doing what I'm supposed to be doing with the person that is supposed to be in my life. The reason we today are somewhat sane, somewhat normal, and have a little bit of strength in our lives is because our grandparents had each other. And they created a generation that could survive a Holocaust and start life all over again. And today, a generation is growing up that can't survive a paper cut or a microaggression or a difference of opinion. So the greater the intimacy, the stronger the child that is born from that intimacy. So here's the formula. This is like the future of psychology. Any psychologists, therapists, psychiatrists, patients? <laughs> Psychology has focused for a long time, since Freud, on the deep, unresolved needs that human beings have. And that if you could discover what that need is, and if you can fulfill that need, you will be healthy. Here's the Jewish secret. And prob probably the reason we're still here. We know something that Freud did not. There are needs. I need to eat, I need to sleep, I need to have warm clothes when it's cold, I need to cool off when it's hot. And then there are deeper needs. I need to trust you, I need security, I need friendship, I need to be understood, I need to be heard. And then there are deeper needs that I don't even know about. My mother once scared me, didn't toilet train me properly, and now I'm suffering. All true. But there's one final step. Go a little deeper. Don't stop there. Go a little deeper and you will discover that you have no needs at all. I have no needs because I did not create myself. I need to eat. I need to stop eating. So if you ask me, what do I need? I need a good diet. And I need to stop eating because most of the food that we eat is poison. So if I could live without eating, I would be much happier. So why don't I live without eating? 
I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't have an opinion. Nobody listens to my opinion. I have to eat or else. So this is my need? It's not. I need to sleep? Not if you ask me. Why would I sleep away half my life? So I try not sleeping. Oh, it doesn't work. So this is my need? No. God created me dependent on food. God created me dependent on good sleep. So whose need is it? It's his need that I'm stuck with. A human being, because we are created, we have no needs. So when your child or grandchild says, I didn't ask to be born, don't panic. The kid is not necessarily depressed. He might be a philosopher. <laughs> because philosophically, it is so true. We don't ask to be born. We don't want to be born. The soul doesn't want to leave heaven. So why don't I ask to be born? Because I don't need to be born. No place to put it. I don't need to be born, so I don't ask. Now, if I don't need to be born, then what do I need? Nothing. Here's where our children are suffering from a from a illusion. They think they have needs. I need one of those. No, you don't. You take a take your child to a toy store. <laughs> they walk in the door and oh, I need one of those. What is that? I don't know. I need it. So one time I took my kids to the store and the kids said, I, I need one of those. I said, why, why didn't you tell me before we left the house? I didn't bring money for that. Why didn't you tell me before we left the house that you needed one of those, which we both don't know what it is? Because you don't need it. You never needed it. This whole thing with need, I need, I need, it's such a mistake. You're a human being, you're not God. God created the world, he had a purpose, he had a need. We're just the creation, we have no needs. We have a role. This is so important. We have no needs, we have a role which means we are needed. We don't have any needs. And what would you rather? Be needed or be needy? <laughs> What's the question? <laughs> so when God calls to Avraham, Avraham says, Hineni. You know what Hineni means? <laughs> Hineni. Hineni means, yeah, whatever, because... I'm unemployed. <laughs> I have no need, so if you have a need, tell me. Because Hineni, I'm, I'm available. I, I have no agenda. That is the healthiest human being. So a child says, I need one of those. You don't need. And then a child says, but I deserve. That is such poison. Listen to the commercials. You know what's making our kids crazy? Every commercial says, you should buy this product because you deserve everything. You should buy this hair product because you deserve beautiful hair. What does one do to deserve hair? <laughs> really? And how do you know I deserve hair? And how does that make bald people feel? They don't even deserve hair. 
That whole notion is so twisted. What is the truth? Do we deserve hair? How about use this um, sleeping aid because you deserve a good night's sleep. Really? I deserve sleep? Why? Because I've been up for a while? <laughs> this comedian says, oh, I'm out of breath. I'm out of breath because it's been a long day and I've been breathing the whole time. <laughs> so now I deserve a good night's sleep because I've been breathing. What do you do to deserve a good night's sleep? Not only that, you should buy this dog food because your dog deserves the best. Now we're judging dogs. The whole notion of deserving is so unholy. It's so unkosher and it's so not true. We don't deserve. We're alive for free. Whatever we have is for free. We don't start off deserving anything. So the more we enjoy life, the more we deserve. <laughs> in other words, the longer I stay in your house and eat your food, the more of your food I deserve. How does this work? We are a guest in God's world. What do we deserve? Well, if you're going to have guests, you better know how to treat your guests. What are you saying? So here's the truth. Final bottom line. We are capable of being intimate because we don't have anything we need. We don't need anything. We need someone. We need someone just so that it's not me alone. So when you marry, you're not marrying for things, you're marrying for someone. God created the world for nothing. How can he need something? He's perfect. So he created the world and he needs nothing. So what is the world for? So that he will have someone. And that's us. He wanted someone beside him, not something. And that's why if you're a good Jew, a bad Jew, an ugly Jew, he, he, he needs you. Because he'd rather have you on his side. Be nice if you actually loved him once in a while. But that's not what it's about. That's why some people say God is love. They're worshiping love. They're not worshiping God. Some people say God is power. Almighty. They're worshiping power. They're not worshiping God. What do we say? This is my God. What am I going to do? Zekeli, this is my God. The God of my father, the God of Avraham, the God of, is my God. I don't want any other God. Do I love him? What's love got to do with it? So one final thought. You see a guy running down the street. And you stop him and you say, what's the matter? What are you running? He says, my wife is not feeling well. I'm running to get the doctor. So you say, that is, that is beautiful. That's so nice. You love your wife so much. And he says, love. I don't love her so much. In fact, lately we're arguing, we haven't talked for a week. So you say, well, in that case, why do you have to run? What's the rush? Slow down, we'll have a coffee, we'll talk. You'll get the doctor later, what's the big rush? What would he say? He would say, you're crazy.
My wife needs a doctor. He said, but you don't love her. And he would say, what's love got to do with it? She's my wife. Much more powerful. The same is true with Jews and God. Every Jew goes to the synagogue on Yom Kippur. And you say to the Jew, oh, you really love God. He says, what? I don't even believe in God. So you say, so then why are you here? You ever ask a Jew that? A Jew is sitting in a synagogue on Yom Kippur. And you say, why are you here? You don't even believe in God. You know what he says? It's Yom Kippur. What does that mean? What? What? It's Yom Kippur. Where should I be? I don't know. If you don't believe in God, not for a Jew. To the Jew, believing or not believing, that just depends on your mood. But he's my God. Sometimes I believe in him, sometimes I don't believe in him. But he's God anyway. Sometimes I love him, sometimes I hate him, but he's God anyway. So since he's my God, and today is Yom Kippur, and this is a synagogue, and I'm a Jew, what are you asking me? Why I'm here? Because God wants a Jew in the synagogue on Yom Kippur. What's the question? And only to a Jew does this make sense. You are here because the God you don't believe in wants you here? Yeah, what's the problem? That's Jewish. You're running to get the doctor for a wife you don't love? Yeah. What's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with it. It's beautiful. It's correct. So the intimacy is possible because we have the capacity to dismiss all our needs. Some people think it's not possible. Anything you do with your husband or with your wife, it's because you want something out of it. You have some benefit or some selfish reason. Every person, always, everything is selfish. That's a little secular psychology. But we know that's not true. In marriage, husband and wife are intimate for two weeks out of the month, separate for two weeks out of the month. Does this make sense? Only to a Jew. We are married. Really? And you can't even touch her? Yeah. You're married and you have to sleep in separate beds? Yeah. What's the problem? The marriage is not about something. Because I don't need anything. I just have to have you. You are not a thing. That's Jewish. So, practically speaking, intimacy must happen in the dark. It's a Jewish law. Why? Because if the lights are on, you're going to see something, and that's going to ruin the intimacy. Because a bedroom is a no-thing zone. And when are you intimate? After you go to the mikvah. How does this work? Because this is not for your needs. So you may need to be intimate for two weeks when you're not allowed to be, but you're not. How do you survive? It's just a thing. You're not here for something. You're here for each other. Separate beds. What a brilliant idea. It really is. First of all, you get to sleep. <laughs> Not that you need it, <laughs> but it's a, good, it's a good thing. Secondly, with separate beds, intimacy becomes meaningful. It becomes real. You want to be intimate? Get up. 
Show a little initiative. When it's one bed, it just happens. That's not good. Intimacy is the holiest thing we can do. So it should be done at least purposefully with a little devotion, commitment, effort, something. Maybe we should have separate rooms. <laughs> Think about it. You imagine the king and queen always had separate, right? The king wants to be intimate. He knocks on her door. There's no question what his intention is. This is for real. So it, it's a brilliant idea. And the separation for two weeks, there's nothing more powerful that reminds you and tells you you're there to have each other, not some activity. Like you both love tennis. Is that, is that something to build a, a marriage around? You have physical needs, you have physical pleasure. It's all very good, but that's not what it's about. The pleasure should be having each other. And that's always good. It's always perfect. You have each other. If it becomes a thing, you know, everything could be better, could be worse, could be more, could be less. So a guy is staring at me in the Chabad house, and he comes over to me and he says, just out of curiosity, you don't have to answer if you don't want. When you sleep, do you sleep with your beard under the blanket or with your beard on <laughs> For three weeks, I couldn't sleep. <laughs> Couldn't. I tried it under the blanket and it did nothing special. So I tried it on top of the blanket. Back and forth and back. Until I forgot about it. And I went back to sleep. If you make a thing out of the most natural fact of life, if you make a thing out of it, it, it disturbs you. Marriage is a non-thing. A couple have each other with no thing between them. How can it be better or worse? It's always perfect. But if you're trying to do something, oh, now it's a performance. Uh, you're not such a good performer. Depends on your mood, depends on what you eat, depends on... Not good. Intimacy is always perfect. Because your grandmother was right. What happens in the bedroom? Nothing. Just us. And that's... Like Golda says, if that's not love, then what is? 